Good evening, you are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. With me tonight is founder of Three Moves Ahead and Flash of Steel blogger, Troy Goodfellow. Troy, welcome to the show. It's nice to always be back where I sort of belong. And we also welcome, for the first time after many failed attempts, uh, Idle Thumbs Deadbeat and Telltale writer, Nick Brecken. Nick, welcome to the show. Hey guys, it's uh, it's great to be here. <laughs> finally, yes. Yeah, it's 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 taken a number of tries uh, to finally get you on the show. It's it's ironic. I think we've got we've gone through pretty much all the other Idle Thumbs guys who don't play <laughs> nearly that much strategy, and uh, we can't forget you. Yeah, you know it's funny. I, you know, I think I think up to this point it's really been uh, you know on uh, on Idle Thumbs. I'm the guy who who you know I'm like the pro, right? You know, like I'm the I'm the strategy guy and. Uh, and I didn't want to um, to come on the show and, and just immediately be outclassed, right? So it's just been a process of recognizing that that's okay. And so here I am. And, and you know, the great thing is we're talking about a game that uh, um, that I played probably hundreds of hours of. So at least I can feel like I, uh, I uh, you know, I'm somewhat legitimate here. Yeah. Uh, and that game, of course, is Sid Meier's Gettysburg, uh, the 1997 war game that really, I, I think, left a lasting impact on war game design that's gone actually far beyond uh, the war game genre. And oh, yeah. uh, Nick, I remember that when we were first sort of kicking around a Gettysburg topic, I think this was like a year ago, uh, you actually said somewhere on Twitter that we were not to dare have a discussion of Sid Meier's <laughs> Gettysburg without calling you first. Uh, right. So I wanted to hear kind of what makes uh, Sid Meier's Gettysburg stand out for you. What are your memories of it? Just on a on a presentation standpoint, like I can remember as a as a um, as a young kid uh, picking this game up and not really knowing what I was getting into, and um, you know I I always had a, an interest in history, but I did not expect what I got. I mean, you know, you open the box and I still have the manuals. They're they're some of the best manuals I think that have ever been made um, for video games. You know, like the 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 thing that always cracks me up. I did a I, I wrote an article once about game manuals, and this was at the top of the list. The I think it's Pickett's Pickett's manual for light infantry, which was um, just included in the box, and I think it was a forty page sort of in character uh, like supplementary manual that they did. Um, and uh, I wish I had it on me actually, but um, I mean I don't that, remember this at all. Oh, you don't? Oh, god, it's fantastic. I mean, it's just a little. A little um, like pocket manual, um, but it's it's thick, and um, it basically it was written in the style of a uh, of an actual um, uh, you know of the times uh, battle manual, and it just includes a number of uh, like it's just basically a numbered list um, of just you know dozens and dozens of essentially what were tutorial tips, um, but just written in in the uh, vernacular of the Civil War era. Um, I mean that that's that kind of stuff is littered throughout this game, and that's that's really what it you know, I mean you know from a mechanic standpoint, which I'm sure we'll get into, you know the game is phenomenal, but but just the the level of detail that they went into um, was was the, really the the thing that struck me uh, uh, the most. And Troy, I remember. Uh... Gettysburg came up in particular on Flash of Steel, maybe more than once, but what particularly stands out in my mind was a discussion of, uh, in keeping with that theme of, of presentation, you were you were quite taken with it, with its maps. Yeah, I mean, I think one reason that Gettysburg, or Sid Meier's Gettysburg, is not just the best Civil War game, I think, ever made, uh, but one of the best war games ever made, is that you become intimately familiar with the terrain, with the map. And if you know anything about Civil War history, you know you know that Gettysburg is a battle full of all these separate locations. It's a huge battlefield, tons of stuff going on in different places. Uh, but the way that the Gettysburg mechanics work, we talk about how the campaign, we'll talk about how the campaign is structured, you're really focused on one small part of that battlefield, and you get to know every nook and cranny of it. And you get to own and master that battlefield where are the approach is going to be where should my cannons be placed uh, and all of these where's the best place for a forced march uh, can my troops get there on time where should the stand be uh, you get to understand the terrain and where your troops are going to be effective on that terrain very very quickly because it is a real time game um, so these are decisions you have to make on the fly and the more you play the game 
the more you realize not just how amazing this is as a battlefield, how varied it is, uh, but how no matter how well you know the battlefield, it never becomes a boring battlefield. It always becomes an arena for amazing new encounters. Yeah, and I think it, you know, one of the reasons I responded to it so much is that for me it finally delivered on some of the things I'd seen a lot of promise in in some of my formative wargaming experiences. I brought it up a few times on this show, uh, but maybe the, the one of the first games I remember playing, and I think the first one I actually picked out for myself uh, back in the days when, you know, you're a little kid, right, and you're going to, like, Babbage's or wherever, and literally your only recourse was basically to look at covers and be like, what looks cool here? Uh, until you figure out there were magazines that would tell you. But I, I picked up a game called... Uh, called Fields of Glory, uh, which was a Napoleonic war game. And at the time, you know, the war game genre was by and large uh, like Avalon Hill adaptations. This would have been back in like the early 90s or whenever. Uh, and so basically it was, you know, uh, pixelated cardboard counters on maps and everything. And to like an eight-year-old kid, uh, that wasn't what I really wanted, right? I wanted something that looked like Patton or something, not like... Uh, you know, not not like a road atlas, and, and so Fields of Glory uh, was was a game about the Napoleon uh, Napoleon's last campaign, the Waterloo campaign, and the problem is it had these really like sort of for the for the time resplendent graphics and uh, like lovely recreations of the uh, battlefields of that campaign, but it really had nothing beyond that, right? Like no, like terrain didn't really matter that much. It sort of feigned that it did, but, like, Fog of War didn't exist realistically. Uh, it was really, like, a really slow-paced RTS in some ways, and you just sort of ran up to each other, shot the crap out of each other, uh, you know, fell back, broke, whatever. Uh, and, and for its time, it was fine, but it wasn't, it, it was not a great war game. It was very flawed. And I think this was maybe the first war game that I was playing it, and it felt kind of like the same thing I loved reading in history or seeing in like war movies like the film Gettysburg uh, for instance where it just really sort of captured the sense of this is what it would have been like well not necessarily what it would have been like to be a general uh, during during uh, the war you weren't you know for instance uh, you know mounts on horseback and getting picked off by snipers but it gave you a sense of what the what the concerns were at least in a way that yeah. nothing I'd ever played had yeah no for sure and i mean you know the other thing that it did is um it, it really sold those characters like i could remember uh playing through the game and just feeling like i was learning about history um you, you know and just picking up all of these names that you know the, the minor generals that were involved in these battles and just coming out of this game knowing so much about um about the con you know about about civil war period um it's just fascinating like you know, I, one thing I want to say, um, just thinking about the way that the um, it, that it's that it's impacted war games in general. Like, I I, I play a lot of total war games, um, and you know, just thinking about this from a real time strategy standpoint, um, I'm not really sure that 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 any total war battle system has actually um, done what Gettysburg has did for me um, back back in '97. Like the 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 um the real like you know yeah it's it's hard to say that the Gettysburg is 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 immersing you but it really from a from a, a tone standpoint and from a um just realistic uh level of speed you know just the fact that troops didn't you know you could double time them I think right but but um for the most part when you needed to make a flanking maneuver you weren't watching guys just charge across the battlefield. Like these were deliberate plotting real time movements. And for the time, uh, you know, somebody who probably came off the back of like, you know, Warcraft two or uh, command and conquer to be playing a real time strategy game where troops moved realistically across a battlefield felt incredibly fresh. And to be honest, after playing a little Rome two this, this, this week, um, it still feels fresh to, to play a game that, uh, because I mean, Rome too. It feels like you're playing a you know a cartoon at times. Yes. Um, which just bothers the hell out of me. Uh, um, but uh, but yeah, you know, just really selling the uh, the actual the you know the sweeping battle movements. Um, and and then right down to you know I can remember uh, and I haven't played the game in, in quite quite some time, but 
um, just clicking on units and and uh, on uh, regiments and hearing the um, the little uh, 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 audio loop, um, and I I can almost hear it as I'm talking about it. It's just guys just talking about like their shoes being uh, worn out and um, you know whatever narratively was going on at that moment in the battle. Uh, they had like a couple of 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 just. Um, Basically, like audio bark loops, and uh, but they were done pretty well. I mean, I'm sure they just went out uh, at a reenactment or something and just hired a couple of actors to uh, to you know and threw some foley in. But like it 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 actually sold the the feeling of of uh, of, of something like watching you know like it 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 brought that Gettysburg film feeling to 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 the game. Um, just just really fantastic from a presentation standpoint, but. This is, I mean, this is a game that, I mean, I've always been interested in history. It's always been one of my big things. But Civil War wasn't one of my great interests when this game came out. I certainly it, knew what was going on. I knew what Gettysburg was. But I, I think I owe a lot of my understanding of, you know, Civil War tactics and Civil War army capabilities to Gettysburg. I mean, I think mm. it was probably the first game that I played where, where, where cavalry wasn't this super weapon. <laughs> where in fact it was this you had to use it for scouting I mean that's what cavalry was there for right. sort of find the enemy and whereas in war games pretty much up until then even Civil War games I played cavalry was you know they were knights more or less uh, they would run down relatively weak infantry units that's what they were there for um, but Gettysburg if you used your cavalry as anything other than you know maybe hunting down routers but their point is to scout, and if they're to fight, you've got to get them off their horse, and you've got to run them out of the way. And that's you know something that they don't really teach a lot um, in a lot of games, how troops were actually used. You know, but it's, what are the differences between the different types of cannons, and what are they good for? Mm. What are the ranges for them? Um, I'm not really an equipment nerd. I mean, this is one reason why I think the... Uh, operational art of war games sometimes leave me a bit cold outside of their excellent scenario design in some cases because they're really all about you know adding up how many different types of tanks there are in a particular unit which doesn't interest me all that much um but i think i mean rob and i were talking about um uh, age of rifles uh, relatively recently which is another game uh from the 90s about this period about um the 19th century uh, civil 19th century rifle warfare um, and it had like so many different types of rifles and so many different types of cannons and it was you know it was an, it was an, a norm coker game just like operational art of war uh, so you, there was just so much equipment you couldn't really understand or appreciate the differences between them but because this focus on this one battle and the limited numbers of rifles limited numbers of types of cannon and you know you're your reserves and your rookies and your veterans and your cavalry, you could really learn a lot just by blundering into trouble about how a Civil War army was supposed to fight. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I think we miss a lot in war games. I think, I think unity of command is probably the spiritual successor, I guess, of um, in many ways for me, uh, even though it's a completely different time period, different structure, because it also is a it also manages to teach you know kind of important lessons about how war was fought uh, on the Eastern Front without getting bogged down in a whole lot of crazy details. Yeah, absolutely. I think you know just like the scope, um, you know, it being focused on this one battle is is fairly unique. Like you don't you don't really see too many war games that are about a sp- like a specific three day period. Um, you know, and Gettysburg is unique in itself um, in that it's just, you know... Yeah, but, well, you don't anymore. Right. I mean, that's kind of the thing. I mean, this, was the, yeah. there was, there, this was I mean, the whole Battleground series, you know, the 80s and early 90s, which each battle, each ser- each game in the series was about a particular battle and the battles around that battle. So we Battleground Waterloo and Battleground Gettysburg and Battleground Gettysburg. Mm-hmm. And this was a big... This was how games were done then. Um, but I can't imagine having... I mean, selling a full-priced game that doesn't even have the full battle. I mean, the battle, the Gettysburg, Gettysburg doesn't have the full battle of Gettysburg in it, which is <laughs> which is a remarkable thing that yeah. to have when you think about it. You're they're selling this what for probably forty, fifty dollars, selling this PC game about Gettysburg. There isn't all of Gettysburg in it. 
you know, plays a campaign. It doesn't even end up looking like it. It's very because it's a branching campaign in ways. Um, it's, I guess, a Gettysburg Ren Fair uh, in yeah. some ways. So it, But this was kind of the type of single battle thing you couldn't get away with, uh, I think, today, even in, even in the world of, even if Matrix games around the world. You probably couldn't get away with doing this. No, and that's that's actually a really good point, and it's I, I think to our detriment to some extent because like if we no longer get games like uh, Cinematic Gettysburg, and and by and large we don't. Uh, well, I mean, there's the there's the Take Command series uh, that sort of you know oh, yeah. there's the core there's the core uh, not Take Command it's it's Scourge of War now, uh, but. Yeah, those each of those games is about one battle, uh, and like Gettysburg, sort of chopped up into smaller scenarios. Then there are larger ones you're commanding the entire army, uh, but and then the expansions are maybe different battles or focusing on uh, different parts of the campaign. Uh, but by and large, those those do sort of seem to be the exception rather than the rule. I think even even as Gettysburg came out, you were having this uh, tendency to try to create these sort of omnibus war games uh, where, you know, well, who just wants to play Battleground, you know, Austerlitz when you can play the entire Napoleonic Wars in <laughs> one game? $50, yeah. 20 years of warfare. And, well, yeah. Yeah, and, that, and it's, it's actually rarely, like, I, there's so many of those games have so much content in them, and yet so few of them ever held up nearly to the extent that Gettysburg well, did. You know what's funny to me is I think about... Um, this is sort of a this is a strange place to take the conversation, but like just from a scenario standpoint in wargaming, I can remember playing um, uh, the Empire Total War demo um, over and over and over again because it was a very specific scenario, it was a very specific setup, and from a gameplay standpoint, it felt like something out of Gettysburg, where you had this very you had troops positioned on this hill, like the map was clearly designed for a demo, and that there was a lot of care taken in balancing and making sure it was an interesting setup. Um, when you go to play Total War itself, there is no, uh, like the, you're, the chances of you finding a battle scenario that is as interesting as the one in the demo is, is almost nil. Um, and, and that to me is the difference where, you know, I'm sure that when they were developing Gettysburg, they made, you know, I mean, they, they probably iterated on all these maps to a huge degree and made sure that they all felt interesting and were, you know, um, interesting battle scenarios, and uh, when you do these omnibus games, you just you know you're you're throwing it all up to procedural generation, and you don't know what you're going to get. But I mean, when it comes to procedural and scenario generation, I mean, I kind of wish yeah. uh, Meyer was here because Gettysburg's scenario generator was amazing. I mean, you could just Did plug it? in that. Uh, it had yeah, a set, you, yeah. you, you could say, "I want to play a multiplayer game. It's going to be this so and so's on the attack, so and so's on the defense, sort of thing." And it would put you in maybe just with a battlefield structured or something, but it never failed to generate an amazing encounter of some kind. Mm. Um, the proper balance of units. Um, Somehow, a much maybe it's just some sort of alchemy, or maybe it's nostalgia glasses, but there was always the right a, a balance of artillery on one side for the attack and the defense. There were always interesting challenges. So, and I kind of wish you know Meyer was here so I could ask him how the hell did you do that? Because <laughs> that is not easy. To I mean, the you're completely right, Nick, to, to point to the Total War games because even these procedurally generated battles, you never know what the battlefield's going to look like. Really, you might choose if it's going to be in the forest or by a river or something, um, but you never know what what you're facing. So, right, I think it's the force balancing, right? You know, yeah. where um, you know I can remember, you know, obviously within within Gettysburg there were there were. Um, uh, 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 battles that were, were slanted in one direction or another. Yeah. But um, the other thing that I'm, I'm recalling now is the uh, the victory point system, which uh, was fascinating because I think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you could basically end up uh, holding, you know, certain victory points, uh, you know, victory um, locations, yeah, and and, uh, and and basically cobbling together a victory over the other side using like, you know, three smaller smaller value or, uh, you know, lower value victory locations rather than going for the one, you know, seminary ridge or something, you know? Um, and that was a, that was a really interesting twist. I thought, um, 
Yeah, they use they they use sort of the uh, graduated victory conditions, right? Uh, there, mm. there is the minor victory, the tactical victory, right, right. the decisive victory. Uh, I think those were the three, and I think it really came down to uh, if you ran the table, uh, pretty much you got decisive. But casualties also weighed into it, didn't they? Try like yeah, you yeah, couldn't you just like oh well, your your core was annihilated, but you had a regiment camping a victory location, so it's all good. Uh, <laughs> I don't think it quite worked out that way. Uh, so right. it, it did generate this. Um, well, like a lot of like a lot of Sid Meier games, actually, in a weird way, one of the most uh, the game that probably reminds me the most of Gettysburg in some ways is probably uh, the remake of Pirates. Uh, oh, yeah. Just in the same way, it's like, oh yeah, this isn't so difficult. It's kind of simple. It's straightforward. Here's, here's what you're doing. Oh, you're doing pretty well? Okay, well, how about you try to do better? How about you try to do a little bit better than that? How about mm-hmm. you try again? And before you know it, you know, you, you, you've played the same, effectively the same thing. You play the same scenario or the, the same, the same you know, gameplay loop. You, you've done it so many times uh and and you just keep coming back because it's like you know getting better a piece of music almost uh, you just you know each each time through it, it feels like you you could find a better way to a better way to approach it you could you could demonstrate more mastery and i think that's going on in a lot of uh sid Meier's gettysburg yeah i mean i I'm, I'm a big fan of that kind of uh um, almost like puzzle-oriented strategy gaming, you know, where you you're presented with the scenario, and it's and uh, and that's that's to me is like you know a lot of the fun of of armchair wargaming is that, you know you're trying to crack the puzzle that these guys you know um, were uh, were faced with. But at the same time, Troy, I would say on this show generally we're not friends to the puzzle war game at all, really. So why do you think? Uh, Sid Meier's Gettysburg gets this pass. I don't think it really is a puzzle war game. I think because of, I mean, the scenarios, there was never one way to win them. There were better than worse ways. But they're generally about tactical stuff. This isn't like, you know, Panzer General or Panzer Corps where, oh, I'm sorry, it's the 30th mission and you didn't, you don't have a level five tank destroyer. So there's no way you can win this. Mm -hmm. Um, You always have the tools to defeat any particular scenario, there are better and worse ways to, of course, achieve them. But they break down to tactical stuff. They don't break down to, you know, cracking the code. They break down to what is a sound military plan to do this. And you can win with a suboptimal plan, but you'll get a limited victory uh, or something. Um, And that will carry you forward into, if you're playing the, the campaign, into a scenario where you had limited victory. So... It's going to be a little bit harder this next time out, just so you know, because you didn't win big enough. Um, but you, you could just put together a bunch of limited victories and have, you know, like if a limited win at Gettysburg, and just win with that. Um, but a decisive win would give you greater advantages, uh, but also greater challenges, because you're a kick-ass general, and now they need you over on a little round top, um, where all the hard fighting is. So I, I don't think it's a pure puzzle... It, it's about a puzzle war game. It is a pure war game. It is the type of thing you you could imagine asking a cadet to figure out. How do you displace those mm. guns from that hill? You have these are your men at your disposal. Do it, and you they come up with a plan. Um, so I think it's really a pure war game compared to something like uh, Panzer Corps or even to some extent uh, Unity of Command, which I think sometimes especially in the expansion, uh, does push that puzzle thing a bit hard. Yeah, it's important that there be that room to uh, fail or at least have degrees of success. It can't be, it can't feel like this uh, binary thing where you've just got to, like, crest this one point and then you're allowed to progress with the mission. That's success. And prior to that, nothing you achieved counts. Uh, I mean, I like, I, I remember... You know, a lot of the uh, if you're if you're playing the uh, Confederate campaign, really, it's crucial that you get off to a good start on the uh, first day. Uh, you have mm. to. There's a couple scenarios there after the first sort of contact along a uh, Seminary Ridge, uh, 
uh, where basically, okay, now now you've got your forces in place. You need to put the Union Army into flight, and you've got to stay, you know, right on their asses, uh, you know, and take the next set of victory locations and route any incoming reinforcements, or you're going to stall out and you're going to actually break from the historical record. Uh, I think unless you really perform well, you find yourself actually with a less favorable st- stalemate than uh, Lee, in fact, enjoyed. Uh, at Gettysburg after the first day, and so it's it's one of those things where you know the first few times you play it, I you know I I had sort of mediocre uh, first days at Gettysburg. You know, like I was a little too cautious. I yeah I drove the uh, Union off Seminary Ridge a bit, uh, but it was it was slow and it didn't set up the the historical next day next day's uh, scenarios quite properly. Uh, but as you go through it again, you start to learn where you can show a little more aggression. Uh, it becomes uh, a little more historical, but also again, sort of teaches you that um, it teaches you again some of the things that it requ- require that were required of a good general. That that fact that so much of uh, generalship in this era is knowing basically when to throw caution to the wind and commit with everything. Uh, because this is not a game that, after a point, rewards uh, conservative play. It's really about like picking your moment to gamble, and then staking everything on staking everything on that bet. Oh yeah, the um, the charge mechanic. I can remember just feeling, and, and it really all of all of the um, the unit commands felt important in a way that often in real time strategy games they don't. Um, yeah. You know, going into volley. Uh, felt like a huge decision to me, you know, and 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 it it almost never does in in other examples of of, uh, of the genre, like, um, and and yeah, you know, actually, you know, I, I believe it had a fallback mechanic, which yes, um, yeah, yeah, that that's that's honestly like I can't even off the top of my head think of another game that did it as well um, as Gettysburg did, like you know, just watching your troops um, take fire with those sort of directional arrows. Um, and just the, the amount of information that was conveyed, but then also, um, you know, it really felt like just the right scale, you know, uh, you had maybe like six or seven, um, regiments, uh, that you were, or brigades that you were, um, under control of. And, uh, it, it really, it made each one feel, uh, really crucial in a way that, um, if you end up in a larger scale scenario, it just wouldn't have, you know. And if if you had if you had reinforcements coming in, if you were told you know reinforcements will show up sometime between this t- this point on the clock, it, you could the tension just oh, waiting yeah. for them to show up, hoping that they that your guys can hold the line long enough, because mm-hmm. if you have reinforcements coming in, generally that means. You're on the defense facing an overwhelming number of troops. You don't know if they have reinforcements coming in. Um, and I think this is probably, I mean, it's, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned, Nick, the, uh, the volley command and the fallback, because this is probably, it probably was the first war game where I used things like, you know, falling back in good order and the double march, you know, mm. use them regularly as yeah. tactical weapons um as yeah. okay i need to get these troops there fast and they might be tired but the timing counts on it um so many multiplayer games i would end up you know winning or fighting to a draw based on a double march that gets the reinforcements there right on time or you know falling back losing my guns but falling back and keep my infantry in good order rallying them and then taking the guns back all of these things that you read about in accounts of Civil War battles became essential tools in your kit. They weren't just there for color. It wasn't always this World War I battle of attrition. You see this a lot in all kinds of war games. It's supposed to be about you know maneuver and different tactics, but really it's just a bunch of guys smashing into each other until one guy's all dead or runs away, you know, which is suitable for, you know, Roman battles, you know, sure. banging swords. It really doesn't fit well with um, the rifle and musket era. And in this game had, it all made sense. All the tactical orders made sense. I, I can't think of anything that I didn't actually use. I may have even spiked my guns once. <laughs> and, and your point about the tension is really interesting, I think. You know, like, as a, as a Civil War game, or as, as a game about Gettysburg, rather, um, 
the and I, you know I'm looking at a screenshot now and there's a little clock in the bottom of the screen and it you know I I've, I've forgotten how time sensitive the um, the the, uh, the the battles were in in, in the game but um, that perfectly conveys the Battle of Gettysburg which you know was a battle that took place over three days and the difference you know in 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 these battles was a matter of minutes or you know hours um, at best like you know th this was a battle that came down to um, time constraints and and you know um, really bold moves and 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 the game conveyed that in a way um, within these missions um, that is really brilliant well that's and that's something else too is the the way time flows in Gettysburg that it's something that I didn't really notice when I first played it it's something I noticed actually uh, a year ago when I when I went went and uh, revisited revisited the game uh, seriously and and spent a few weeks with it and the scenarios are highly compressed, uh, and the game moves along at a really fast clip. It's it's not many of these scenarios uh, that I can think of ever go beyond a half hour of playtime. Mm. This is a sit down, bang out a session. You can be in and out, uh, and you've played a pretty sophisticated war game scenario, and it really sort of shows up. Uh, okay, just because I'm not feeling particularly charitable to Total War at the moment. Uh, but it does feel, when you say that like the units in Rome, for instance, handle like cartoons, I do feel like in, in, in the Total War series, there's been always this tension between giving battles time to sort of grow and allow for a lot of like maneuver and such on the battlefield versus sort of trying to get guys to sort of quick step up and you don't, oh, who wants to send guys on long, you know, flanking marches through a forest around a hill? That's boring. And I'm actually that guy. It's, it's, it, you know, it's, it's, it's a war game. Like it's, it's, you know, it's, it's not just, it's not just simulating what's going on in the offensive line of a football game. Like it's a war game. Uh, but in 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 Sidmar's Gettysburg, it's really interesting because you get you get all those dilemmas. You get that sense of man, if I send these guys all the way around on this flanking march, like by the time that brigade's in position, this battle could be damn near over, or the mm. position will be completely wasted. It, that that dilemma is in there, but what you're talking about in 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 real time terms is it's going to take those guys about three minutes extra to move from point A to point B where you wanted to launch that flanking attack from. It, you know, it's going to play out very, very quickly. It doesn't feel like the action's slowing down, but the depth of that dilemma is still there, completely intact. That's really interesting. I, um, you know, I haven't gone back and played it in a while, but uh, now my, my memory is sort of flooding back, and, and, and yeah, it really did feel like that was the case. Um, did you guys play Antietam? Because I have to admit that I never did. Um, yeah, I I I I I played Antietam and it was it was good. I mean, the real I guess concession uh, they made to fans in Antietam was they had the full battle of Antietam in it. They had the entire battle it was one of the scenarios. Well, and it is um, a one day battle, so at least it's it is easy. it is a that one day battle, so it makes sense. But it also proved to be you know quite a lot to handle. I mean, um, the system didn't scale up all that elegantly. Uh, I think, it's because it, you do lose... I mean, they try to slow the time down a bit uh, for the larger battle, um, so you don't feel necessarily as pressured. But it does end up being one of these real-time messes where, okay, where's the action going on? Where's my focus point? Uh, because it does, because it is still real-time, you have so many things you have to track. Um, right. and so And because it is such a deep and great... Uh, war game still. Um, it is all the great stuff that's in Gettysburg. The larger it gets, uh, the more analysis paralysis can sometimes focus in because you don't know necessarily uh, where your where the schwerpunkt is going to be uh, in this particular encounter. Uh, I guess you could say the same thing for the Scourge of War game, which is one reason I like playing at the lower levels. I don't like being the large commander in the Scourge of War games. I like commanding, you know, give me give me a brigade, you know, give me a battalion, give me a regiment, you know, sort of thing, because then I can, I don't feel like I have to manage the whole damn battle. Um, but Antietam was a good game, and it came up the very next year. Uh, it was... The map, again, uh, was outstanding. It did have smaller scenarios, so you could focus on the little things, which is good for teaching you the map. Um, uh, but I, I guess it never really 
held my heart the way that Gettysburg did. I guess Gettysburg is kind of a first love type thing. Antietam is just the same game. It's just a new setting. Right, right. Yeah, that's what I, that's what I would have imagined. Although now if somebody were to you know, offer like, hey, Sid Meier is kickstarting doing an entire series of Gettysburg-like <laughs> games for most of the major battles of the Civil War. Oh I'd be God. like, okay, goodbye, kidney. <laughs> I'd be, I would be so there. I mean, this is a. I mean, I would love for Firaxis to go back, and do, well, go back and do a lot of their stuff. I want them to do Railroad Tycoon again and make it better than the last five Railroad Tycoons. Oh, yeah. uh, but I mean, this is a topic I would love for Meyer and Firaxis to revisit uh, with all of their XCOM loot money, and you know, try to find a way to you know, bring this type of really clever, I mean, even if they just updated the graphics, it would be probably the best war game of the year. Uh, but I think they have many interest. I think there are a lot of interesting innovations in war gaming over the last, you know, 10 years that might make it even stronger, assuming somebody at Firaxis is up on that sort of thing. So when it comes to, when it, when it comes to like the, the, the battle of Gettysburg, I guess, you know, what I, what I, what I'm, what I'm trying to get at here is, is there something uniquely, uh, Gettysburg about the way these mechanics come together. Like, do you see the do, 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 like when you play it on Tatum or 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 when you just sort of project the system to uh, to other fronts to other wars? Do you see it maybe running into problems that like wouldn't have come up in, in Gettysburg? Do you think this is you know because because one of the things you often see in war game design right is the the single scenario war game often does really interesting things because it's very specific it's about this one particular engagement and the vagaries of the geography and the the issues uh in play at that battle uh and you try to make it more uh modular where it can just sort of be adapted to a variety of different scenarios you, you can sometimes lose some of that character uh and i guess i i'm curious like do you do when you look at sid meyer's gettysburg do you do you look at it as something that's like uniquely informed by the experience of like this one battle that's a really interesting question that's a hard question to answer i don't think so i mean i guess i'd have to try all of the mods i mean because there were there were so many mod uh battles done for um uh, sid meyer's gettysburg because people were modding everything uh back then um even though the games weren't necessarily open to it uh they figured it out you can you know you can download People did Napoleonic battles with the Gettysburg system. I don't think those necessarily would have worked all that well. But you know, they the tons of Civil War battles as well. And I wonder, I, I I can't see any problems, you know, translating it to other Civil War encounters, uh, because, well, maybe not sieges. I can't see the siege of Petersburg or Vicksburg adjusting very well. Fredericksburg might even be a bit of a push since it's a bunch of guys charging a fence and getting murdered. Um, so I, I Which wonder, is basically the second day of Gettysburg in some ways. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I, I guess, I, I, it's not something that I, I mean, you're right, it's an interesting insight, Rob. I hadn't actually thought of it that way, about you know, single scenario war games being designed specifically for that scenario and therefore not translating to other similar settings. I can't see that being a problem with Gettysburg, but I, once again, I'd have to play around more with it. Yeah, that's, that's that's really interesting. Conversely, like, have you guys played any other uh, games about the Civil War? I'm curious. I know that um, uh, I guess Victoria Two had a had a, an expansion that was um, uh, Civil War themed. I think. But there are so many Civil War strategic level games, and it's, yeah. you know, that are you know, I think we're still waiting for a really good one. Yeah, it's probably a terrible thing to say since there have been so many strategy, strategic level games about the Civil War. I've been playing them for probably 15 years now, and many of them were made before that. It's also really arguable whether that's the most interesting aspect of the war. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's, I think it's some probably interesting things you could do with that. I remember, oh God, I forget who made it, a game about the Civil War where you actually had to, had to, to, to pick your cabinet as well. You were oh, Lincoln, wow. and you had to pick the cabinet, and had to appease all of the different parts of the North. Okay, that, uh, sounds, that sounds fascinating. I was about to say that sounds amazing. Yeah. Yeah, and it was it was okay. You know, it was based on um, there were two of those, one on the, on the American Revolution as well. Um, this well, sounds almost like it would work more as like interactive fiction almost than. But like, yeah, but there was also you know you had to have the generals in the right places, and there was the political considerations of what generals you were hiring, and it was actually an interesting design. Uh, 
not the blue one, the green. No, 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 no greater glory. Was that it? Yes, it was. No, 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 no greater glory. Strategic uh, simula- SSI, great old SSI. If any, if, huh. if anybody from GOG.com is listening, you've got to get all the SSI stuff into your catalog <laughs> ASAP. Through that. Uh, so yeah, they did that, and they also did a Civil War game. Um, I was an American Revolutionary game, but this is an this was an, 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 an Ed Beaver game. Uh, so it's pretty damn good. Um, and you would make uh, all the decisions about, there were political decisions about the draft. When, when, when would you put in the draft? When, oh, wow. would, you, when would you do the Emancipation Proclamation? At what, what point can you do that? How many border state cabinet members can you have? Uh, what about the, the Peace Party? And, you know, the, and the Confederacy has similar choices they have to make. Uh, at the uh, political level. But it was also tied to this military system, which was kind of terrible. Mm, Um, This is kind of the problem with a lot of these strategic level games. Really, the interesting stuff in the Civil War is the political stuff and the military stuff. Uh, But they're both very different things. And I I don't think, you know, building factories in Illinois is an interesting problem. Never. And that is certainly something that a lot of Civil War strategy strategic level games have mm. you doing. Yeah. Um, and I are building railroads. You know what? There's no railroad going to get built between Detroit and Washington in four years. So there's <laughs> just no point in investing my money no, in that. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, and and the payoff, you know, is is to make the point that like if you're playing as the North, it's like. You know, by 1864, you're just able to completely replenish losses and regiments and just sort yeah. of start steamrolling, which is great. But you could you could get that from a Wikipedia article and, you know, 30 seconds of reading. Uh, and the same deal in the South is like, hey, guess what? You don't have that many more, uh, you know, units you can raise and deploy. So make the best of what you've got. Yeah, it's just that, that that's not a huge payoff. Those those other levels, uh, those other things you were discussing actually sound far more fascinating because when you think about the when, like everything interesting that's happening on strategic level of civil war is more of that the negotiated and truly bizarre politics of uh, both sides of the civil war yeah so i'm trying to think of other great so i mean there's similar so many civil war games i'm trying to think of the really good ones i've played and they've generally been they've been the they've been the the, the battle stuff i mean yeah the, the battleground bull run you know the take command one and two but I look at the strategic level, and we have um, what we have: the Age Odds games. Mm-hmm. We have the Pride of Nations scenario. You know, North versus South. All the standard yeah. stuff. Um, gods and generals. As in the. Is oh, you it related to the movie? Of course, it's related to the crappy movie. Oh God! <laughs> it was a first-person shooter. It was oh, not. Oh it was a first-person shooter. Also, first-person stabber. Oh my god! That's also the tagline. Yeah. Wow. I, a first-person shooter. That's that sounds dreadful. Yeah. Dreadful. It, was an, it was infamously terrible. It got reviews. I think worse than the movie did. That would take can, some doing. So um, it is probably the the worst Civil War game I've ever tried a, a, a demo for. Oh man, that's <laughs> depressing. Uh, yeah, I think, you know, Scourge of War, you know, sort of carried on in Gettysburg's footsteps, and yes. uh, the best parts about it are in many ways, uh, you know, cribbed from that. Uh, the, the the really novel aspect uh, that really uh, that kind of took it to the next level was that they added this idea that you were a cog in a larger machine, that they're lar- like the battle is happening around you, and now instead of just... Because uh, the way Sid Meier's Gettysburg runs it is... You, you have a set number of units that are available for control during a battle. And if there's something going on in the flank, it really is not going to concern you. They might even not even bother animating it. You'll just see, like, a line of soldiers under black flags uh, just sort right. of hanging out and not doing anything. Uh, but in uh, Scourge of War and Take Command, what you've got is, you know, you might be a division commander and your core commander is busy, busy, like, completely screwing up the battle eight ways to Sunday. And suddenly your division is basically going to have to save the day uh, or either or you're going to have to just get the hell out of there uh, and, and salvage what you can, which is which is really cool. It, even it, it continues in that sort of role playing vein. Uh, that Sid Meier's Gettysburg uh, started started in the, the the cost I think to that is um, 
Sidmar's Gettysburg has this wonderful purity to it, right? It's it's such a it's such a pure, straightforward war game where it's 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 you had like here's the scenario, you know, work it out, figure out how you want how you want to tackle it. Whereas uh, Scourge of War, I think, goes for the, the you know the, the 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 plus is yeah, it's it's kind of realistic and it's really cool. The downside is in in some ways you end up trying to anticipate a lot of what the AI is going to do in some weird ways. But it is something we should be doing multiplayer soon. Yes, we we absolutely should. We should conscript we should conscript Nick to join us. Yeah. Uh, you, oh, have you, you ever played any of them? I, I have not. No, I'm I'm uh, I'm really interested based on based on that description though. It sounds really good. Oh yeah, no, we can we can sort of fill out like a we like you know two take two core up against each other and uh, we can set the uh we can set the rules so that you can't even chat in multiplayer. You have to send couriers on horseback and they can be killed. Really? Oh yes. yeah, totally. They can arrive. Are in you the wrong shitting? Order. No, no, I'm no, not. This is, this is an important part of the game. Oh my god, that sounds amazing. It happens. It happens in single player too. You tell your AI subordinates, like, uh, you know, hold that position, go on a defensive stance here, and then you send that order. But it goes via courier, and maybe that guy gets shot, and you don't notice it happen, and so your brigadier just continues with his attack, and you look up ten minutes later, and he is basically getting killed. Uh, you know, at the main line of resistance, uh, and he's like miles away from help. It totally happens. That's absolutely fascinating. Yeah. That yeah, that should, that kind of like that kind of element of chaos, I feel, um, is just wow. That's so interesting to me. Like strategy games don't often mess with their mechanics like that. That's really really fascinating. Something else that we we touched on a little bit with uh, you know the the various controls that you have in Sid Meier's Gettysburg, but maneuvering. 19th century armies, not the simplest thing, understanding how they fight, what makes them tick, mm. uh, what makes them effective when they're not effective. All these things can take a little bit of getting used to, uh, and yet Gettysburg really does this amazing job of making it all feel just absolutely effortless uh, in a way that I, I still think, like, you know, uh, even the Total War series, uh, which is simpler in many ways, uh, still struggles to pull off. Uh, but, but I love oh, yeah. Gettysburg, and it was just... The controls felt so deliberate and uh, easy to use. Uh, well, what's what's blowing my mind right now as you say this is I'm remembering that there there was no drag and drop uh, unit movement. Um, that it was entirely, if I can recall, uh, it was you would hit the advance button right, and they would move the um, the, the position the uh, the rectangle um, for the uh, for the future. Um, uh, position of the of the brigade would just move forward a little bit. And there was you, that, but you could drag and drop. But it was this idea could that you? you couldn't. Just, yeah, but you couldn't just drag it anywhere. It drew an arrow. You grabbed your flag, and you dragged it forward, and it described a line of march. And uh, so, yes. whenever you released that flag, that would be their new position. When you were sort right. of commanding them in the battle line, oh yeah, you only use like the advanced fallback. See, the, the advanced fallback stuff felt so precise in a way that um, Total War never does. Where you're in the middle of a battle and you can't. Like, you know, like, the, the, I'm just going to use Rome as an example because that's the last strategy game I played. But, um, you know, if, if your unit is in the middle of a battle, you don't really ever know um, where the, uh, where it's facing. You don't know, um, y- you know, if you click on a unit that is uh, attacking you, that's flanking you, you don't really get a sense of whether or not your unit is 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 prepared for it you know like if you've done it in time like you don't none of that information is really conveyed because the focus is on just rendering that battle and making it look as interesting as possible rather than the precision of the actual um warfare and and that's where where gettysburg still feels uh superior in a lot of ways um like that fallback mechanic you know i wish i had that when i was playing empire um you know i wish i wish there was something analogous to that um because uh you know what a what a useful and interesting um, thing. I think my my favorite part about moving troops and organizing troops is most the hardest part was deciding where to put the Iron Brigade. Where do you put mm. your number one best elite troops? Do you want them to anchor the line so that the so that the you know, the newbies don't get routed in a flank? Do you want to put them in the center? Uh, because that's where you expect the attack to be, but if the attack doesn't come there, 
all of these, the morale system and deciding who can, how far can you advance? Um, if somebody gets ahead of, can you trust this branch to get ahead of the other side too fast? Do you want to halt them? Do you want to let them keep their push? All of these simple maneuver things often came down to, is this a crack unit? Is this not a crack? They're doing really, really well. If they're a crack unit, but they're only at half strength, do you want to use them now, or should you use them for a charge later? Because your units were often not full strength. You'd be fighting a battle with, okay, you have like half this brigade, and that's it. Um, so you would be limited in what you could do with your crack units. Uh, because they take in casualties at other points in the battle, so don't you worry about that. This is what you've got. Um, and it's so great to have that, those types of decisions you know, being made in real time. And they they weren't... I mean, I make sense these are hard, you know, brain-scratching decisions, but they're the types of important decisions you can make on the fly, and you make a decision, and you stick with it. Because uh, that's, that's the plan. That's the battle plan you have going in uh, when you look at things, and these the maneuvering and the placement of your troops was so dependent on how well you knew the capability of those troops or could guess the capability of those troops you know because newbies in a strong position will do just fine uh but you have to decide where the strong you have to figure where the strong position is no and i mean you know the fact that the game was was paced the way that it was allowed you to make those decisions you know like um, you never felt like uh, I mean, certainly you felt like there were there were moments of tension, but um, it wasn't a game that um, once the units were locked in in combat, you're more or less your options become more limited. I mean, you always had a chance to to correct, you know, and that um, that 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 that's that makes the the scenario thing really interesting because you know you can you can make a commitment um, and uh, and back out of it and still and still sort of pull it off and and that. Yeah, as, as tight as the time was, there's always a chance to recover your position generally. Mm-hmm. Um, I f- forget this, but, I mean, but, but the, the, the time wasn't exactly completely precise. Sometimes it would go over a little bit. As yes. I mm-hmm. There would be like mm-hmm. extra time, like in soccer, you know, injury, <laughs> injury time in a Civil oh War battle, God, was, I guess. It was so cruel when it did this, too. Because yeah, you so, get that like five minutes remaining, and then five minutes would pass. <laughs> and it just keeps going, and oh crap, oh crap, oh crap! How much longer is this going to happen? So you have this vari- this variability uh, to the timer, which you're planning everything around this timer because you have to, because it could stop a minute after that, or it would never stop before that. But you can't count on getting an extra ten, extra ten, five or ten minutes for your plan. Uh, but that might be enough to lose the battle or to win the battle. Um, and you know these variable turns are an old wargaming tradition. You know the number of turns you have would be so many plus or minus. Um, mm. So it certainly wasn't the first game to do that, but um, that was just so much damn fun to look at the clock and you know p- p- pray for a little more sunlight. I guess was what you were hoping for. Well, and then I just I love how. Its system for managing morale and when units break is so simple that to me it's, it's kind of internalized. Like it's every ba- it's basically every morale system that's ever been created, but it's like the most simple, elegantly pre- most elegantly presented form of it. You know, I mean, a lot of like you know, if you if you think back to like a lot of board games and such uh, that dealt with morale, it was really kind of this again binary state you know uh, squad leader uh, kind of thing where it's like oh you, you know, like those guys get hit and do they stay or do they break okay they're broken and then it's just over but I love that in that in Sid Meier's Gettysburg it's the sense that units that, that 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 soldiers bravery is kind of a variable trait that that really the art of generalship here is just figuring out the place and the positioning and the context where your soldiers will be the most willing to stand and deal with the horrors of combat the longest. And just the icons themselves they use to show you all the, because it's this bar, right? There's the base level of morale for a unit. So like a crack regiment will have like seven bars that slowly fill up. And then when those seven bars fill up with red, they're gone. Peace out, they're routing. Uh, But if they're in like heavy cover, they get like 
two extra bars for the heavy cover. If they have a unit behind them, you'll get a little icon. The next bar will show like uh, two, a double line of infantry. Uh, and you'll get a shabar for that. And the, it sort of creates this, this sense that, like, that battle lines themselves is almost this kind of, like, connects-like <laughs> toy where you're sort of assembling it over the most advantageous terrain. And it has this multiplying effect across the entire body of troops that, in, you know, if you position these guys well enough, it almost doesn't matter if they've never seen a battle. They're gonna, they're gonna last. Uh, but... If you screw it up and you push, you know, you push unit out there that shouldn't be out there. It doesn't matter how good they are; they're going to see enough of the shit and they're going to run. Right. I'd forgotten all about that, but you're right, the whole, the the whole stacking of morale bonuses and the transparency of it uh, was just something I guess became intuitive. I didn't even didn't even think I was doing it because it's just it's just the way things are done, the way things were done. Um, and it's, you know, once again, one of those things you learn about, you know, 19th century warfare, I suppose. What does it take, what does it take for a unit to feel safe? Um, I guess, based on historical diaries, I guess. I was, Mm. dear mom, I was standing beside a fat soldier from Ohio. I feel great. (laughs) No, you know, another thing I I completely forgot about was the, um, the replay, uh, uh, component. Oh, Oh, so much fun. Yeah. Because you could see the battle from the other side, right? Was, so you know, I'd fight a battle and lose it or win it, and I wanted to see where were the enemy troops? Where were they coming from? When did they show up? Where did that gun start? Uh, sort of thing, and it was just so amazing to watch the whole battle play out. Mm-hmm. Well, and sometimes you'd have those real surprises where, like, you thought the critical critical action of a battle was in one place, right? Yeah. Where you're like, I was right, fighting right. like hell to hold that left flank. But then you see it in replay. And you realize that there was actually a heavy attack coming at your right flank. And your units just kind of like shot it to shit and then broke it with a charge and they ran off. And the entire thing happened so quickly that nothing really ever developed over there. And so you didn't think it was the critical action. But you see that in replay and you're like, oh my god, they, (laughs) like, we, we basically like kneecapped a division that was coming in on the flank. And that battle I was fighting over the left, there was nothing behind it. I was gonna lose shit. Um, it, it's really cool to see those unfold, and it, it has the perspective. It, it zooms out, you know, it replays in real, really quick time from this perspective. It's very much like a lot of the um, diagrams you'll see in history books. It's like mm-hmm. seeing like the pages of a history book, like you know, spring to life and start flowing in real time. It's it's so cool, and it so gets at like kind of the joy of studying history. You know, right yeah, there, right yeah. there in this game. I really think that you know, for me. We we can talk forever about you know mechanically why this game is fun to play, but it just it really is you know just clicking on a brigade and seeing that it's the the, the you know the 113th Pennsylvania Regiment, commanded by General whoever experienced whatever. I mean that just that flavor, um, and I you know a lot of a lot of uh, war games do this, but but the the way that Gettysburg did it just on a comprehensive scale, um, you know right down to the manual. Uh, just you know really profound for me at that time like um just just basically selling the whole thing uh, you know from top to bottom and and you would get to have favorite units yeah uh, favorite yeah. because you'd be playing so many scenarios or you'd go into multiplayer and you'd generate a scenario oh god it, it, it's those guys i love those guys i remember when it's the type of yeah. game you would play for 50, 70, 100 hours uh, because there was always something new, especially with the random generator. So you would get to, even if you didn't know unit or d- division histories from your yeah. Civil War reading or from Ken Burns, you would recognize, you know, the those as the guy, those were the guys who, you know, led the forced march through the creek and turned a rebel flank in the woods. And I will always love them for that. And now they're back here again, or, you know, or the or the, the general who let you down, or the general who got shot right. Right. Uh, at the wrong time. Um, they because the the names because it was it was the Battle of Gettysburg, so the names would repeat. They would all be Gettysburg divisions and Gettysburg regiments. So they would of course repeat and recycle. So they would be names we would be familiar with, and that connection uh, to the history 
often a fictitious, randomly generated history, was so, so strong. Uh, because it may not have happened like that, but it could have happened like that. Um, and it was, it does, it did build a really tight connection to um, these smaller generals. Um, go ahead. I mean, well, just talking about like the connection to generals and such, I'm just flashing back to the one thing I could never bring myself to do in that game was play the variant where Stonewall Jackson uh, had lived and was, oh, was yeah. at Gettysburg. Yeah. Honestly, like seeing it creeped me the hell out. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I don't know what it was about it. I think it was just like he sort of appears on the edge of the map where he's this like just this general, and it was kind of like it, it, it just was like this weird unholy. Stonewall's like, ghost like, has appeared. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was like this like Shakespearean thing where it's like yeah. no, get like get thee gone. Yeah. Like I, I like. It was really, it was really disconcerting to see like Stonewall Jackson sort of sitting there at the end of the Cashtown Pike, and like sending the core past him on the first day of Gettysburg, and I'm just like, no, this doesn't, this doesn't feel right. This doesn't feel good at all. Yeah. And I, I never went back to that. Never went back to that variant. Uh, it was just, it was just bizarre because it was like, you get such a sense for who's there and what they're capable of and how this battle should look. Mm. Like introducing this new element, it was completely. You know, by that point, I was I I'd so internalized the opening act of Gettysburg that like having this new character injected, I was just like, nope, I have, I want no part of that. Yeah, that was that was a fun battle to lose over and over and over again. Because <laughs> he's pretty damn tough. He probably should have been nerfed, but anyway. <laughs> well, his, history took care of that. <laughs> How do you yeah. nerf a ghost? It's true. <laughs> it's just need to question. unlock. Unlock the revisionist historian unit, and uh, you'll take care of it right quick. Uh, but, you know, the other thing, it's such a cool looking, like, I, now, even now, I think it's still a really great looking game, you know, for, for like, I love the, I love the vibrant look of it. Uh yeah. You know, I love the animations. I love the 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 the, the sound and the the sound and uh, sound and art oh, work together to yeah. Oh, it's it's amazing. Oh, and, um, and and the music. Mm, mm-hmm. Especially like the fife and drum like you yeah. like the marching yeah, tunes. Yeah, yeah, the marching stuff. Oh yeah. And yeah, and even just the general uh, background score. I mean, most games I don't leave the music on for because, you know, the music's not very good and Whatever I have in my uh, iTunes is generally going to be better, if not necessarily the right time frame. Uh, but I loved uh, all of the music and all of the sounds. Sound design uh, for Cinemar's Gettysburg was outstanding. And yeah. it even had one of my favorite aspects of, of mid to late 90s PC gaming, FMV. That's right. That's oh, right. God. There were, um, yeah, uh, people dressed up in, um, in Union. Uh, <laughs> in they had Union, reenactors, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah they, did the, they did the whole thing. That's right. Oh, my God. Yeah, they had the reenactors, but then it was all, like, overlaid by two, like, uh, portraits uh, with voice actors with like fantastically overdone accents. That <laughs> uh, was just that was just splendid. Uh, you know, every scenario is, is just like, especially on the southern side, just oh, like sure. it, it's like a drawl competition yeah. uh, heading into the battle. Was it, sir? You must take that heel. That's right, sir. I can guarantee you that heel be ours. <laughs> it, it, it was amazing. Foghorn Leghorn is an underappreciated officer in the Civil War. I would follow that man into hell. Oh yeah. I say, I say, I have no division. <laughs> you know, when I when I look at Gettysburg, though, I'm amazed at just how, like, I I think if you like, you take Gettysburg, and I don't think without Gettysburg, you arrive at the Total War series at all. I, I agree, I think. And, 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 you know, as I was saying earlier, I really wish that they would go back and study Gettysburg because I feel like um, there are, uh, <laughs> you know, there are, there are elements of Gettysburg that I think could be still, uh, you know, a teaching tool for developers who are making games like this these days. Like, you know, it did so much right. And they're not the um, easiest games to run on modern machines. Uh, alas, mm. or if it's, I've, had, I've had quite a bit of trouble trying to get them uh, functioning on Windows 7. I may have to figure what Rob did to make them work. But they, uh, they, they, if you can, I certainly do recommend looking for them, uh, dear listeners, and playing them because they are 
I mean, if Rob's played them recently, and I'll stand by what he says. It was on a Vista machine, to be honest. Yeah, okay, well, there you go. But they're outstanding uh, experiences. Um, the uh, Gettysburg and Antietam, to some extent. Just, they are... I have so many fond multiplayer memories. Uh, just lining up against a friend and playing just smashing our armies into each other. I I probably lost two-thirds of them, but the th- I could probably tell you about those battles in quite a bit of detail. Just the way that, you know, batters can tell you about the home runs that they've hit. I can probably tell you about the battles that I've won. Yeah, they're, they're, it's, it's really a fantastic game. People should go out and, and track it down. Um, and uh, I'm sure I'm sure there's a post on the internet somewhere that details how to how to get it working, and uh, it's well it's well worth the trouble. I it's I, I I badly wish like you know this is definitely one of those games that I look at and think like boy is, it is a shame that this has not found its way to uh, you know GOG.com yet because uh, I mean talk about a game that should be readily available because uh, I, I it, it absolutely holds up. And yeah, I think there's there's a lot of valuable lessons uh, to be learned here. Uh, that that it doesn't like that that this sort of tactical warfare doesn't necessarily have to mean you know total war or total war clone. You can do other things with this sort of presentation and uh, approach uh, that are that are fascinating and don't require a huge open ended dynamic campaign. Uh, sometimes a scenario is its own reward. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. Yeah, that about covers our discussion of uh, Sid Meier's Gettysburg. It, as is its want, it will it will come up again and again. As and this is one of, this of, is one of those do. landmark games for us. One of these anchor games we keep going back to this and Alpha Centauri and uh, Rise of Nations and a few other titles that we just keep referencing uh, for good reason. Uh, it goes in the canon. Yeah, absolutely. That that whole that whole blessed era of uh, early Fraxis and its uh, immediate descendants. Uh, it was it was a fantastic time in PC gaming and a fantastic time in in war gaming, uh, and I definitely hope that you know this this one classic at least can make its way to uh, to wider availability soon, so that we don't necessarily have to go uh, besiege Google to both find us a CD and then how to get it working. Uh, but until that day, uh, you know, I guess have fun on eBay, have fun with uh, compatibility <laughs> mode. And uh, you can always just live it vicariously by re-listening to this episode. Uh, so, Nick, uh, thank you so much for joining us uh, here late on a Sunday to uh, talk about Sid Meier's Gettysburg. No, no, thank you, guys. This is great. I, uh, I, I, God, it's one of my all-time favorites. I'm really glad that I got to participate. Yay, participate. Right, well, we are going to drag you onto that uh, Scourge of War. Uh, oh, yeah. No, let's do that, that for that, sure. That, that, that sounds fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and Troy, of course, I, I know it's late. Um, I'm very glad you were also willing to forego a little bit of uh, very low-scoring football uh, to come hang out and talk Gettysburg. It was a terrible game. So I, was, I was either going to go to bed anyway, so. All right. <laughs> That's fine. Uh, well, this has been Three Moves Ahead. Uh, until next week, good night. Good night, all. Bye, guys.